Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, welcome to our guest segment. I'm super excited to have this guest interview. Uh, you may remember this if you're old enough. It happened in 1964, the kidnapping of Jack Teich in Kings Point, New York. Now, at the time, this was the largest ransom uh, that was ever paid in a kidnapping case in the United States up to that point. Three quarters of a million dollars of ransom was actually paid, and Jack Teich was held for several days. Uh, he was chained up, held in a, uh, in a small closet while this was going on. He was obviously released after the ransom was paid. And he lived to tell about it. But for many years, for many years, he didn't talk about the case. And here it is now, 46 years later, he's written a book and he and his wife join us live tonight to talk about his ordeal. Uh, Jack and Janet Teich, good to have you with us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. I'm going to turn your volume up a little bit there. Uh, all right, man, I don't even know where to start on this, but I, I, I want to set the scene um, before we even get into the kidnapping. Uh, Jack, tell us what what was your life like before the kidnapping? Were you did people perceive you at least to be some super rich guy that would have been a good kidnapping target? I mean, were you living in the biggest house in town, driving, you know, a fancy car and flashing money around? Why? Do you think you were targeted uh, for kidnapping? Uh, my understanding is you weren't living that life. You just had a normal kind of middle class life in a middle class neighborhood. Is that right? <clears throat> yes, Jim. You know, I uh, this was 1974. I was 34 years old. My wife, Janet, was 30 years old. We had two small children. Uh, the oldest six at the time, and the youngest was two years old. We lived a very modest lifestyle. I, I uh, worked six days a week. I left at seven in the morning, didn't get home till seven or after in the evening. Drove a modest car. We lived in a modest house, but we lived in a nice community. We lived in, in uh, the Kings Point section of Great Neck, but in a very modest house. And I was a regular, uh, just a regular person raising a family with my wife, working hard. Um, nothing ostentatious. We no vacations to speak of. No fancy uh, parties, dinners. We had uh, friends were just local. Most of our friends were local neighbors. And this, um, uh, and you owned a business, though, isn't it, isn't that also right, uh, 
Jack, that, that you were a business owner in the community. Tell us about your business. Yes. Yeah, it was a family business, and we manufactured building products, uh, construction materials. And, I, and there were two brothers, my brother and myself. My father was alive at the time. And, and we were basically, my, my brother and I, my father was on, well on in his years. And we, we ran the, this company and, and we were, uh, building it. Um, it wasn't a public company. It was a, a privately owned company. It wasn't, it wasn't huge. It was a, it was a, you know, a modest to fair, to fair size, uh, manufacturing company employing people. And, um, uh, and we were growing. But it wasn't like you were, you know, I mean, when I think of a kidnapping target, I think of like a Bill Gates, you know, in, t- in today's world, you were no one like that, right? I mean, you were just a normal guy who had a, a business. Absolutely not. You were maybe like a, a middle class, upper middle class, might be fair to say. And so uh, this description in your book is is absolutely chilling. You're coming home like a normal day. You're coming home. It's it's already dark outside because you're a hardworking guy. You leave early. You're coming home. It's already dark outside. You pull into your driveway. You turn off your headlights, but you see that there's the driveway still lit because there's a car behind you and you live on a cul-de-sac like a dead end. So that was that kind of concerned you that, wait a minute, what's who is this car behind me? But you didn't have any trouble. So you had no reason to be worried. Uh, you, I mean, am I right? I mean, you, you aren't someone that historically has had, had any issues with anyone. So, so you're just like a normal guy. You're just, well, there's somebody in my driveway. Maybe somebody needs something and, and then tell us what happens. There was no reason for me to suspect anything. It was a rainy, uh, uh, foggy. It happened to be a, a foggy, uh, rainy evening. Uh, it was in November. There were leaves on the ground. It was a week before, uh, week or two before Thanksgiving. And I'm, and not only do I live on a, a, a dead end cul-de-sac street, but the road that gets to that cul-de-sac street is a, a dead end as well. So it, it, it's kind of, it's normally unusual that there, there are other cars other than people that live in the neighborhood that pull into their driveways. But this night, there was a car that was following me, and I looked in the rearview mirror, I said, boy, that's odd. Uh, uh, you know, and I, I, just, I, I just said it was odd, 7 o'clock at night, uh, and he didn't pull into any one of the other driveways. But I kept going, went to my house, pulled into my driveway, as you just mentioned. I shut my uh, lights off, I pulled up to my garage, uh, but the garage door was closed, I, and the, it was a white garage door. So I shut my lights off, and I look up, and I see, gee, there's, there's still lights on my garage door. And I check my lights again. I said, no, my lights are off. I look in my rearview mirror. There's a car right behind me in my driveway. I get out of the car, and on the left, my driver, the driver's side, there's a, a individual ski mask, with a with a uh, silver colored pistol pointed to my head, and on the right side, the passenger side, uh, another individual gets out with a uh, also a ski mask with a sort of shotgun. Don't move. 
you're coming with us or we're going to blow your head off. Wow. So for the moment, um, uh, I said to myself, I was about maybe 25 feet to the, uh, through a breezeway to the entrance to my house. I know my wife is there with two little kids. I said, should I, t- should I run? This, this what went through my mind. Behind my house was a uh, wooded air, was woods, and, which I knew very well because I've li- I lived there. And I said, should I just take off? I can make it through into these woods with it, and they would never be able to follow me. And I said, well, the split second said, well, if I do that, would they go into my house um, with my wife? I said, I can't take the chance. And uh, I didn't do it. I, um, in hindsight, uh, who knows? But I, uh, so they said, come on over here, get in the back of the uh, car. They pushed me into the, into the back of a small, uh, it was a Ford Mustang at the time. Pushed me down. They said, we're going to rob you and we're going to let you go. Meantime, they put handcuffs on my hands, on my two hands. They 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 put putty uh, on my eyes so I couldn't see anything, and then a pair of glasses over the putty. And uh, and uh, I said, well, why why if you're going to rob me, why don't you just rob me and, and rob me here? And they blasted off some you know some something, keep your mouth shut. Uh, we're going to do, do it our way is actually what they said. So then, uh, uh, the horror began. That's when the horror began. Wow. So, so that's, so and that happened in 1974 and wasn't that Correct. around the same time as the, uh, Patty Hearst kidnapping and wasn't there the, uh, the Getty kidnapping around the, those times as well? Yes, it was uh, uh, the Getty was uh, uh, John Paul Getty Jr. was late seventy three. Uh, Patty Hearst, Patty uh, Hearst was February of nineteen seventy four, and I was November of nineteen seventy four. Okay, wow. So uh, but look, I was a nobody. I had, right, right. I didn't have any name. Right. It was interesting uh, though because I I'm, I bring up those other two cases because your case, even though you weren't famous. Uh, you're one of those cases that um, even in the uh, the Morgan Freeman movie, they made reference uh, to your case as well, because it was during that time when those kinds of things uh, were happening. And uh, the idea of holding you uh, for ransom, uh, you know, I, we want to get into that, of course, and all that. But where where do you think the figure of seven hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars came from? Because, I mean, I would just think based on your description of your lifestyle and so forth that these guys might have thought they were asking for the moon to ask for three quarters of a million dollars or was it the government's position at that time to to meet these ransom demands to help americans to get out of these situations or do you think they had some kind of inside knowledge that you had a way to raise that money through owning your businesses there's no question they had some in which we'll get into the, they had inside knowledge uh into, into the uh, company and the uh the company had um the company had no debt it was a profitable company 
but it also had a company pension plan and a com- company-sponsored pension plan and a company-sponsored profit-sharing plan. And the people, uh, the employees all, all received um, uh, annual statements of what money was in th- these accounts that were was their money uh, included in the plan. So they they had some knowledge that they uh, that that there was money there was money there money available, and uh, uh, and even during the time I was in ca- captivity, they they slipped and let on that they knew this that and the other, uh, even though they kept questioning me about because they I understand from the book they interrogated you well they had you for several days getting you to give up more information. But but as you said, they kind of slipped that they already knew they already knew some of the critical information. And that was was why you you were targeted. Do you did you ever determine that anyone on the inside, a disgruntled current or former employee or former business associate, someone like that may have had a connection or was that never uncovered? The answer is it was I had no clue. I had no clue that there was anybody in my company that I that I uh, thought could be involved in such a thing. Uh, I had a good relationship with the pe- with the people. Uh, we treated everybody fairly. Uh, the fact of the matter is, there was somebody uh, uh, inside the company that did finger me, and we can get into that. But you you asked about the. Um, the size of the, of the uh, ra- ransom. I have no no knowledge of why they asked uh, for that amount of money, and whether they would have negotiated. And actually, I didn't even know until I was re- after I was released that I was at FBI headquarters in in, uh, in Manhattan. That's when I found out how much they asked for and how much was paid. I had no knowledge up till then, but I could tell you the. The professionals, the FBI and Nassau County Police, together uh, told my told my family. They said, "Look, if you could raise the money, these people seem to know what they're doing. Uh, I, we would not. If you can't raise the money, obviously you can do what you can do and negotiate. But if you can raise the money, uh, don't negotiate. The, the, these, these are these are radicalized." Um, uh, individuals, and our primary purpose is to get your to get me back alive. Uh, the money is secondary, and we'll get the money back too. Um, uh, but they didn't get the money, but they did get me back uh, alive. Now, when so, you when you say radicalized, Jack, are you uh, were these people? You know, possibly, can I use the word terrorists? I mean, like I know that we're not talking about too far away from what happened yeah. in, in Munich. Uh, I mean, are we talking about the same ilk of people? This wasn't just an, an American gangster trying to get money from you. This was international, uh, isn't that right? Yeah, the, these people, the, the people involved. By the way, there was at least four. They were radicalized, blatantly anti-Semitic, and uh, a product of that that time. The the the. Uh, the 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 seventies there it was it was a turb there were turb it was a turbulent time, and they really uh, felt very strong that uh, uh, 
that they were the have-nots, and and we were part of the haves, and they wanted their uh, they wanted their fair share, and they were very clear about that. And um, uh, during the whole, by the way, it was seven days. I was I was uh, which I can get into that too uh, before I was released. Seven seven days. Uh, but, I, go go ahead, and I want to get into the conditions you were held under. But continue on on yeah. your thought there. No, no. What, what what I was saying is they well. The, 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 let, let's just get back. I was taken to the um, uh, about a four, and I tried. I was alert enough to to to, to um, consciously think how long of a drive. Uh, we went over a, a bridge. They paid a toll. This was when I was laying down, handcuffed and and, and blindfolded. Uh, we went up a steep hill, and I and I I don't know. I just Meant, took mental notes of to, to where about where are we going, and um, uh, we after about forty minutes, forty five minutes, they stopped, uh, took me out of the car, uh, and we walked up a couple of steps, and then they walked up another couple of steps. Anyway, uh, took me into a, apparently a, an apartment, and. The, uh, I stood up. I was wearing. It was a rainy evening, as I mentioned. I was wearing a suit, a tie, or, uh, uh, and a raincoat. And so they methodically um, searched every pocket in my raincoat, every pocket in my uh, 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 my pants, my billfold, my uh, my uh, what do you call it, uh, jacket pockets, and and uh, I had some business uh, material in there. And they methodically, about an hour, they they went through every little thing with a fine tooth comb, questioning me about this. My my paycheck was in there that I hadn't cashed. The my uh, there was uh, some business uh, uh, letters in there. They went through those, and then they came out. They came to me and said, "Well, you know, we think we're going to keep you here for a while." They then. Pushed me two of the the, the, the the two that got me in the driveway. They pushed me into a closet, probably two feet by five feet. Uh, you couldn't lay down in it. Um, home, the um, uh, and then I said they pushed me onto the floor, you know, sitting up. And they took a chain that was already connected to the wall through a eyelid in the wall. So they were prepared for this. And the, the chain went around my neck with a padlock. Then they took another chain connected to the wall uh, around my two ankles with another padlock. And here I am with handcuffs, chained my neck, chained my my uh, uh, legs. And they uh, 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 gave me a pail to uh, relieve myself. I was just about barely able to, to with the slack in the chain, to, to kneel, to, to sit. I couldn't stand up uh, to kneel. And that's when the, the, the horror began in the driveway. But the, the horror continued uh, in, that, um, in that closet um, for a week. Well, actually, it wasn't a week in the closet. It was half the time I was in this closet. And then the uh, second half, they took me out of the closet, and there was a bed in the room, 
uh, and they chained they chained me to the. I was able to lay on a bed, but they chained my uh, same thing, my ankles and my uh, arms to the to the uh, uh, iron iron of the bed. Um, and of course, we don't want to. There, I, we, there we, I was. Yeah, we don't want to give away the whole story because I want people to get no, this book. No. The book is a it's a beautiful hardcover book, and that you can get the book in Amazon. It's titled Operation Jack Knapp, A True Story of Kidnapping, Extortion, Ransom, and Rescue. Um, now, you're in captivity for a week. You're being held for a week, and that is just horrible, horrible conditions. When these people are talking to you, interrogating you, are you picking up any type of signals as to uh, are they speaking with an accent? Uh, these are not Americans that are holding you. What kind of, uh, you know, were, what were you concluding from the interaction you were having with them? Well, I, I knew they were all, they were, well, at least the ones that uh, spoke to me, the, there were only two, there were at least four involved, but only two. One primarily spoke to me 90% of the time. The other one, very, very infrequently. They were both black. Uh, I, I don't know if they were, uh, I, I didn't focus on whether they were foreign or, or not foreign. They, they claimed to, uh, they threw out some African words, uh, at least what I thought was African words. And I don't know if that was to throw me off or they, or they really did, did speak that, that language as well. Um, but they were clearly, um, at least the one that uh, spoke to me the 98% of the time, they were clearly very well educated uh, and very smart. That came through very clear. They asked many of the right questions, and they uh, they knew the uh, and they knew the answers to some of the questions uh, before before I gave the answers. So I, I I suspected they knew that not that I suspected they they knew more than they than they let on. So they were which, in, they were interrogating you, but as a good interrogator does, they know some of the questions and answers so that they can make sure that you're telling them the truth about you know what the situation is. And and of course, just because of time, I'm going to skip ahead. But what's fascinating to me about your whole story is that. Your family and the business was able to come up with the three quarters of a million dollars. You had the state police in New York involved. The FBI is involved. Uh, this is, of course, you know, the biggest thing as far as a kidnapping goes, a ransom amount goes that's ever happened up until that point. And they actually pay. Uh, they, 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 they do the drop, you know, just like in the movies, they, they, they drop, they, they meet up with the person and they say, you know, don't. Uh, bring don't have the police come or any of that. The drop takes place, but then the guy gets away with the money. They they don't actually uh, catch him. How how did that happen? What what method did the pickup the bag man use to get away without being caught by law enforcement with all that money? Yeah, Jim, that's a very good question. The the payoff was in uh, Pennsylvania Station. The, the lo- Probably the largest train station in the in the in the United States, and there were the, the night of the drop, there, there were 450 uh, 
FBI and Nassau County police in and around the streets surrounding Penn Station and throughout and throughout Penn Station. Wow, four hundred and fifty. And it was just four hundred and fifty. Wow. Yep. And they, they, um, uh, and, and I'll get and I'll and I'll give you the bottom line in a in a minute. They they, um, uh, my wife is on the phone on the extension, and and she made and she uh, courageously uh, made the payoff with my brother. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you how the, they were able to get the money as well. But the, um, the, uh, and it was what you see in the movies, go to this lo- uh, phone booth, uh, call this number, then go to this, another phone booth and then call this number and then go to this locker and, and, and back and forth. And, and there I mean, was cause this was 1974. Mix. I mean, for people listening today, it's like, yeah. You need to send a certain amount of Bitcoin and we'll let this person go. None of that was. We're still phone booths and in the old school oh, yeah. on, yeah. On, yeah. Mar- on marked bills, small bills in a brown bag, that whole deal. Right. Well, yeah, no, no, actually, well, not exactly. I watched I watched I watched too, no, ma- they, I watched too they, many they, movies. The the the. What what it was is, and, and these people were really knowledgeable. The police, the FBI, and police transmitters, their radios did not work on the ground. And you asked, how was the individual able to get away? The the police and 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 my wife and my brother were wired up. The FBI wired them up with two way uh, two way radios. They couldn't, the, the police could not communicate with my wife. They couldn't communicate with my brother. But more important, they couldn't communicate with each other. It was underground. These people were really smart. And, and that's how they were able to elude, elude the police and get away with the, um, with the money. The, and I asked the police, I asked the, the FBI, I said, look, why, what happened? They said, look, Jack, we could have grabbed him. I mean, we, we had people watching him and we saw him take the money out of the locker, take the bag, go down two flights of stairs and actually get onto a, a, a train and we could have grabbed him. But if we grabbed him, we wouldn't have gotten you. And so what they wanted, where they, where they were trying, they needed to, to fo- they needed to, to uh, follow the radio ahead. He's on this train right. or this track or this, this thing today, the, the, um, the, uh, uh the, the technology today, they have these, the equipment that works on the ground. They didn't have it then. And they might've had a tracker so, they could have put in there, but what they had to do is yep. they had to follow him but at a far enough distance that he didn't know they were, he was being followed to be able to not only, you know, catch him, but the other people involved. But they they couldn't do that in the circumstances because of the communication. And he got away. Was it like on a subway train, basically underground? Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's ex- exactly. We, and, went, and I'm sure he went from one train to another to another and and uh, they couldn't follow. him. Incredible. And so the money, the money gets paid and they don't recover the money, but then you get released 
Um, and and when you came back, I mean, obviously, other than a week of 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 mental horror, um, were you physically okay when when you came back, or or had they physically beaten you or tortured you? No, no, no I was. You know, look, what what do you do when you're chained up for seven days? Uh, thinking about my family, my kids. Yeah, I did a lot of praying. I did a lot of soul searching. I I I prayed. I I did everything I could to keep my mind uh, active. And by the way, the one thing the 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 news the newspapers had the story the first night. The major newspapers had the story, and they. Uh, the uh, FBI and, and police uh, called them in and said, look, please hold the story. Don't release it. We want to get this man back. And believe it or not, uh, I don't know if it would happen today. But then, <laughs> it would never happen today. Probably not. You'd probably be on the, wouldn't happen You'd today. be on the Drudge Report by, by, the, by, by, you know, right, by right. breakfast the next and morning. I could, right. Uh, I could tell you. Because there was a radio on in the next room. They were blasting that radio, listening day and night, 24 hours a day. They were listening to see if if any news came up, and it didn't. The newspapers actually held the story wow. until 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 I was uh, I, I was released. And I'm talking all the newspapers, but those were different times, you know. So yeah, fascinating. Uh, that saved my life. There's no question in my Th- mind. That's yeah, that's incredible. Because you're right that that definitely yeah. those were definitely different times. Now, now tell us about uh, Richard Williams. Uh, because, and of course, we want people to still get the book, so we don't want to give the whole thing away. But tell us about yeah, Richard sure. Williams. He's the only one that was actually ever prosecuted. How long did it take uh, to catch him, and how did they catch him? It took two. It took two years, uh, up to two years to catch him, and they and they did catch him uh, in uh, California. Uh, and they, uh, if I tell you how they caught him, I'm probably giving away too much, too much of the story. But the fact is, um, that they, uh, there was a connection between an employee of, of, of myself, of, of my company, uh, one of, one of, uh, that worked for me for 15 years and had left the company two years before the event. And went into business for himself, and, and then that business failed. And the long and the short of it is, he was a childhood friend, and grew up with this Richard Warren Williams. Richard Warren Williams was a uh, uh, born in New York, uh, went to a privileged uh, high. Uh, what do you call that? The, the uh, privileged uh, schools in the New York City school system, uh, moved to California, four children. He became a very successful uh, real estate broker, uh, uh, radical, as radical as could be, even then, and then uh, became uh, an airline pilot, uh, moved out of the country for a while, was flying planes for a while, came back to the United States, uh, and maintained a, a friendship with the individual that worked for me. So that was the connection. Uh, uh, 
But he was the only one, as you say, that was uh, caught in in California. Can I ask you, did your did your child was, your childhood friend Jack did he unknowingly give you up, or was it darker than that? No, no, no. He wasn't my childhood friend. He was the childhood friend of this Richard Byron Williams. Oh, okay, okay. The the, the my employee. Uh, which I found out later was also radicalized. Okay. Uh, These were very radicalized, extremely anti-Semitic. I had no knowledge that he was, he was, uh, so he was, so your, your former employee was, was my former employee. He played a part in this. He knowingly played a part part part. and was he ever prosecuted? He He was indicted, uh, uh, well, that's another whole story. But what happened was the FBI uh, went to inter- they interviewed every ex-employee that ever worked for the company for the I don't know ten years prior, and they interviewed every employee for, that that, w- that was working for the company during the investigation, the first few months of the uh, or the first year of the investigation, and they went to interview them after a you know few months and. Uh, they didn't like some of his answers, so they went back uh, for a second interview. Uh, and they did the second interview, and they went back and, and uh, uh, went through their notes and all. And, you know, they said, this still doesn't sit right. So they called him for a third interview, and they said, uh, uh, Charlie, his name was Charles, Charles Berkeley. Charlie, we'd like to interview. Uh, we still have some questions to ask. Well, guess what? He never showed up for the interview, and he took off. Now, here's a guy, here's a here's a man that had four children, four young children. He took off for four years, four years. Hmm. In the meantime, his uh, high, uh, his childhood friend Richard Warren Williams ended up uh, uh, being arrested, indicted, and convicted. Uh, and sentenced 25 years to life and uh, at, in, in a, a maximum uh, New York State uh, prison. The, um, the, uh, and, and he took off. Well, lo and behold, four years later, he, 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 um, come, he shows up, he comes back. Why did he come back? He missed his family and, and children. And he turned himself in. Uh, and he was already in, indicted, and he was he was called in as 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 Richard Williams was called in by the uh, district attorney's office, and they called Charles Charles Berkeley in, and they said, "Look, Charlie, he had given himself up, and he was indicted. You're facing the same sentence as your buddy uh, Williams. We're ready to offer you full immunity if you." Tell us the entire story. Give up all the anybody that was involved, and there were at least four involved. We will give you full immunity. This was the district attorney's office. Guess what? He got up and said, "I don't know what you're talking about," and walked out of the room. Hmm. Full immunity they offered him. Wow. That's how radical these people were, and he walked out. And as it turned out, his indictment was overturned on a technicality. 
and he never got prosecuted. But the similar thing happened with with the, with the Richard Williams that that got his twenty five years to life. They offered him a deal, and and they and 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 he wouldn't take the deal, and he took a twenty five years to life sentence wow. rather than giving up anybody. That isn't that's that that's every part incredible. of the, every part of the story is is incredible and and um. With time running out here, I do want to get to the the reward and and all of that because and and there's so much more in the story, folks, uh, that you, you want to read this story, and it's a story that you'll love because it's a story of a guy who he survived this and he's going on with his life now. So it's got a great ending, and that's the part of it that I love. But uh, you never got the seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars back, and you no, we were only able to. We were only able. We got up thirty-eight thousand dollars back. But you're um, you're trying to. By the way, that you're trying I'm to sorry. today recover that money and are pledging to give that money to charities on behalf of law enforcement. Is that right? That's exactly right. I'm offering the, a fifty thousand dollar reward to in, information leading to either return of the uh, portion of the ransom money. Or uh, other individuals that we know there were other individuals involved, information leading to those individuals. And I further state that any of the money that's recovered, we will donate to the Federal Law Enforcement Foundation. It's a foundation, fabulous foundation. I support them now um, for uh, federal uh, law enforcement people as well as local law enforcement to help them in time of need and uh, I offer the reward and the reason I'm, the reason I'm doing this is that and it's all in the book during the course of the early on during the investigation I'm sorry not early on uh, after about a year of the investigation the um, I offered a reward uh, uh, for information and lo and behold uh, I don't want to give away too much. Lo and behold, there are there were some uh, informa- information that did help in the investigation that came from an individual looking for the reward. I'm not. I won't get into that. I won't give up that part of the book. Yeah. No. But this, there is no statute of limitations on a crime like this, so they could, in theory, no. charge the people today if they caught them. Is that right? No question about it. Yeah, that's incredible. No now, now, Janet, you've been very quiet, but I think you're the hero of this whole well, book. You didn't ask me any questions. You're the you're the hero of this whole book because you're the woman that's that you came up with the money, the seven hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. You know, you you went through hell on earth those seven days, and you guys have stayed together, which is incredible because so many times when people go through something like this. The marriage is the first thing that goes because you're dealing with PTSD and all of these problems. Uh, uh, what are you? What are your thoughts, uh, Janet, on how you made it through all this and how you guys stayed together all these years, forty six years later? Well, first of all, I had my two sons to think about, and I didn't want them to lose their father, and um. I guess when you, you when you're separated like that, um, 
you realize how much uh, you mean to each other. So, um, you know, I think, you know, it strengthens us. Yeah, that's that's great that you say that because so many times when people go through something tough like that, the the stress of it all, you know, can really destroy a marriage. And and Janet, you you folks have relocated, I guess, to Florida. Is that right? And what have you done with your lives for forty six years after all this happened? Did did the business continue on, or have you gone on to other businesses? Uh, give me sort of the thumbnail of of the rest of your life between that horrible time and, and today. Are you asking Jack or me? Uh, either one. No. Well, we we still live in New York. Uh, we don't live in the town that this event occurred, but we still live in the New York area. And we do um, uh, travel back and forth to Florida. Uh, we have a, uh, what do you call it, a condominium uh that also in Florida, but uh, our life, the, the, that business is not is not uh, alive anymore. Uh, but but I am working part time. I uh, keep myself busy. Um, we now have five grandchildren, so life you know life life is going on, and you know it's um, it's something we never really uh, talked about. Even between us, it was too painful, uh, and especially uh, between us and especially with our children. Very rarely, if it came up in conversation, it was just a, a short sentence or two. But I told Janet uh, about two years ago, I said, you know, I, I really have to document all this, um, you know, for our children and our grandchildren that know nothing about it. I said, and and not only that, there are people that uh, had questions all these years, and they deserved answers. So I, about two years ago, I just said, you know, it's something I'm going to do. I bet it was very cathartic for you to write a book like this uh, yeah. and get to, to share it all. It might have been painful, too, but it might have helped yeah. to get it all out there. And this is part of history, so you're leaving behind, yeah. you know, this all the details of your story and you're a survivor and uh, I love your story and, and you guys are still together and I love that. And uh, it's a fantastic book and we just want to recommend it to everybody. It's called Operation Jackknap. This book, I I've seen it at the bookstores too. It's on Amazon, right? But they can get it at any of the bookstores also. Yeah. Is, is that right? Oh, yeah. It's on uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Simon & Schuster. It's on all the booksellers. Um, and there's a website, uh, OperationJackknap.com. If you go on that website, you're going to see a lot more of of uh, of what's going on with the book and me and uh, my fan. You know, it's just everything that's going on now. Any idea of uh, any, any thoughts of a movie or a Netflix series? Or I mean, I could see something like that coming out of this. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> funny you mentioned it. Um, we did get a call. Uh, we got two calls actually. Uh, and one was from a British company that uh, is interested in and in doing a, di a Netflix, uh, you know, documentary type uh, series. But look, you know what's in the news today? That you know, it seems like everything is is tabled until you know the world gets until the until the pandemic uh, right. gets over with. 
Yeah, so we and, we and can all go on with their life. But <laughs> hey, you know what? We're all locked in watching Netflix. So <laughs> we yeah. need some we need some we need some new shows to come out. And I hope you guys make a lot of money from this horrible thing that you went through. Oh, maybe God. maybe you'll end up uh, with a ten million dollar uh, movie deal out of it or something. But God bless I you. People have uh, have spoken to him. About it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. That's the first. That's the first thing I thought after I read the book. This has got to be a got to be a movie. I, I'm already thinking of like who the different character. So let me ask you this, Jack: Who would play you in the movie oh. if you picked the the actor? And, yeah, what's his name? Ben Affleck. He said Ben, ben Affleck. Affleck. There you go. I, I was gonna. But he's a little older than Jack was. There you go. We'll see. That's but good. We resemble each other. If you see my picture I, in the book, I know you, you look uh, like a, those days. You look like a tough guy in those days with the with the the <laughs> the, the shadow, the five o'clock shadow, no shaving for a few days, and yeah, that that yeah. picture there. That's your picture. You and Janet, like that's right after you got released, right? And you're on your way that back. Was, uh, that was yes. that. When I was released in the evening, it was taking. They picked me up near Kennedy Airport, took me right to FBI headquarters in Manhattan, and we. I was there all night, and Janet met me there. My brother met me there, and we. Uh, that that picture is about five five six in the morning, leaving the FBI headquarters. Uh, that couple of those pictures in the book, and by the way, those yeah, they were in the newspapers, but we got a hold of those pictures. Uh, so you could see what I look yeah, like. Yeah, some great, some great pictures. A picture definitely uh, tells a thousand words there with with uh, with, a, with that it's expression. It's a fast read, Jim. Right? It, it, it is. A, it's a fast read. Yeah, I think you could read it on a book. you could read it on a flight, a long <laughs> flight. You could read it in a, yeah. a three day weekend. You know, with the Fourth of July coming up. So absolutely. Well, yeah. folks, thanks so much for joining us, uh, okay. Jack, Jack, and Janet Teich. The book is. Operation Jack Nap. God bless. We hope you'll come back when the movie's released, and don't forget us when you're famous. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you, you know, Jim. Thank All right, you guys. Thank you. Thank wow. you. That was fascinating. I I tell you, um, so much about this book that I loved. I loved uh, the wife and the brother come up. You know, go get the money. I mean, this is like this is like a, a movie. I mean, on just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, it can happen to any of us, right? You're pulling into your driveway at night and a car comes up behind you and they jump out with guns and, and tell you to get in the car. I mean, uh, just chilling. And this is this guy's real life story. 1974, 46 years ago. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Our first night uh, with the live video simulcast. We'll be doing a lot more with the video. God bless. So long for now. Remember, if it's Sunday night. It's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody.